Welcome to HR and Cocktails, brought to you by Prescott HR, home of unintimidated HR, the show for business owners and executives to learn more about all aspects of human resources with your host, Kimberly Prescott. Thank you for joining us this episode. I am Kimberly Prescott and I am here with Cheryl Brown. Yay! Fabulous employment attorney with Davis, Agnor, Rappaport, and Scalney. Um, we are here in their beautiful offices in Columbia, Maryland. Um, I, I do feel a little slighted because I'm in the other conference room. So I'm not in the conference room that gets to overlook the lake, but that's okay. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. No, their <laughs> offices are amazing either way. Um, so we're going to introduce a new segment. My husband bought me some fabulous um, playing cards, and all of the playing cards have a drink recipe on them. So we are going to play a quick game of war, which is the game that Cheryl decided, and then we will read the winning recipe, and then we'll get started with our episode. So, all right, ready? Yeah. Okay, all right, we're going. We're flipping cards. Here we go. Oh, oh, she has a joker, joker. which the, here, read your, read your, um, oh, a bloodthirsty pirate. Mm. That sounds actually, <laughs> I don't know, but it's, it's fitting for the upcoming Halloween, yes, um, there you go. holiday that is occurring at the end of the month. So that is five ounces of light rum, one ounce of peach schnapps, nine ounces of cranberry soda, one ounce of coca-cola you stir all the ingredients together and serve over ice and you probably you may look like a joker at the end i, I know, know it's huge actually that doesn't sound too bad to be honest um the losing card was an irish coffee which is actually one of my go-to's in the evening either that or a white russian so awesome Again, I have Cheryl Brown with us today. She, again, is an employment attorney, and she is amazing. So, Cheryl, tell us a little bit about you and your practice. Okay, thanks for having me, Kimberly. Um, as Kimberly said, I am a labor and employment attorney with Davis Agnor, Rappaport, and Scowney. I am also the Maryland Sherm Governmental Affairs Chair, and... I think that works out nicely in my labor and employment practice, which I have been practicing labor and employment law probably since 97, which makes me about 19 yeah. <laughs> or something, something like that. Um, but I have seen a number of labor employment laws change over the years, and as Kimberly knows, they change every year, mm -hmm. which, like I said, works well with the advocacy, and um, I can keep abreast of all of the new laws in Maryland as well as um, federal laws that occur and that would impact our clients. We are in Columbia, Maryland and we service uh, small businesses, large businesses, government contracting, nonprofits, um, tech companies, religious organizations, mm -hmm. pretty much any employer in the Baltimore, Washington area. Um, we can handle with our firm here, so. And I will say that I have worked with Cheryl in a variety of environments, both um, in the Howard County, Maryland Charm chapter, as well as in the Howard County Chamber, um, and just in the community in general, because she is amazing, and everyone in the community loves Cheryl. <laughs> 
So the first thing that I want to ask about is because the, the purpose of this episode is really to help people understand because you know, people come and run into clients all the time and they're like, oh, well, I have an employment attorney. I don't need an HR person. I just run everything past my employment attorney, which I'm like, great, you should have an employment attorney. However, employment attorneys give advice and counsel, but you need to actually operationalize it in your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. So can you talk to me about what you see as the interplay between employment attorneys and HR professionals? Yeah, I think it's important, um, as Kimberly said, to have both HR consultants and attorneys um, for your business. Um, HR consultants really can advise business owners on the day-to-day operations. They are there to meet with the employees. They can keep um, the policies up to date um, in the organization. They can implement new HR strategies with the company. They are really there with the leadership team implementing um, how that organization moves forward. Attorneys, and I and I really do, you know, I appreciate working with Kimberly because HR consultants should always have an attorney as a best friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be Cheryl. <laughs> because Attorneys will keep you legally compliant. They keep the organization legally compliant. Um, Anytime there's a contract or agreement, it needs to be um, approved or run by or drafted by an attorney because it is a legal document. Anytime there are, um, that would be like non-competes, severance agreements, employment agreements, and any type of restrictive covenant. And I do think that in the more difficult issues that arise in a business that maybe an HR consultant is unsure of or the employer is unsure of, uh, an attorney who has seen the issues go through the court system and resolved at the end are able to better interpret the law and understand the case law that applies to those facts that happen in the organization. There are a lot of organizations that really don't they truly don't know the difference and so I work with Cheryl and or my clients attorneys to really get the the final word from a legal perspective on how we should move forward so even if with a sticky termination I may make a recommendation and say hey this is how I think we should move forward but I'm always going to tell my client but I would suggest that you contact your attorney just to make sure that your mm-hmm. attorney is comfortable with how we're moving forward and that there's no risk that perhaps we haven't considered or quite honestly, clients, um, that there's some information that I haven't been told. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and as you know, every employee matter is different. Mm -hmm. As much as we want to put everything in a nice, neat little box and say, oh, we've dealt with this before, there's always a certain nuance or a new fact pattern that you haven't addressed. And, you know, you will, HR consultants see a lot, attorneys see a lot, so... With all of that experience, you can better service your clients and meet those HR headaches. Absolutely, absolutely. So when you think about all of the businesses that you work with, and we will um, not use any specific examples, but just talk very generally around um, just businesses in general, what do you see are as some of the common 
mistakes that businesses make as it relates to HR and employment? Or just trends, maybe. Right. No, no, no. So I think a lot of mistakes is they rely on their HR team um, to draft legal documents. That would be number one. Um, So a lot of times that doesn't necessarily work out because the agreements aren't addressing everything that needs to be addressed. So that would be number one. Um, A lot of other things that I see is that HR may not be, and this is not the case with Kimberly, who was on top of everything, but HR doesn't necessarily have the time because they are involved in the day-to-day operations to keep up to date with all of the current laws and practices or case law or interpretation of a law and that's what labor and employment attorneys do every single day so just when someone knows that they i can handle oh this is a ada disability question by an employee i know exactly how to handle that it may have changed or there may be a case law so that would be i think a couple examples of how a that HR can work with attorneys, but that business owners, if they're relying solely on an HR consultant, are going to miss those other aspects. And I think vice versa. Um, There are times where attorneys give great advice and counsel, provide you with the ideal accommodation, but as a manager, you're not sure how to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. You're not sure what the accountability looks like for that individual, particularly when you may have an ADA, FMLA situation, they uh, many times managers allow situations to spiral out of control because they don't know when to say, hey, FMLA said this occurrence would be periodic and it could happen you know, once every three months, and for some reason right. it happens every Monday for you. Right. <laughs> so having the HR person also involved, again, whether it's an in-house HR person or a consultant, that person should be able to then identify, mm-hmm. perhaps we need to follow up with this individual or get some additional right. documentation because something has changed from the documentation that we received mm-hmm. um, versus what we're seeing as a trend. And many times, managers don't know how to do that. So if you're relying solely on an attorney who gave you solid advice, Mm -hmm. operationally, if you're not managing it and having accountabilities um, and processes put in place, it could still be a problem. (laughs) I always always say to HR consultants that you all have, you know the personality of your business clients almost better than attorneys do because we're not there. And you can communicate things to the supervisors or managers or business owners sometimes better than attorneys can. I mean, we're very legal, um, and sometimes in some situations you have to be that way. Um, but I think in understanding a situation, HR is, is very effective in managing that, whereas an attorney may come in and you know just say things that it doesn't work with the personality. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And that is true. I think that some of the the nuances of the organization and really helping to guide the conversations that the managers need to have. That's something that mm-hmm. HR professionals, I think that for the most part, we do relatively well. It's, you know, let me walk you through what this conversation should look like, or let's have this conversation together. Mm-hmm. I think uh, sometimes if there's only an attorney involved, it adds a level of gravity to the situation. Right. If the in, 
employee is involved, let's talk to our attorney. Right. The employee may feel a bit blindsided and they may feel that they may need to get counsel. Like, okay, well, the company's having me talk to their attorney. Right, Why exactly. I need an attorney for a simple accommodation? Right. Because they didn't have an mm-hmm. HR professional and the attorney was the only person that they had. Mm-hmm. So I think that having both layers is very important, important. because we each Absolutely. play a different role, although there are there's definitely overlap, we play a different role. Right. So let's say I'm an organization and I'm not necessarily just getting started, but I'm at a place now where I really need to look at my processes. I really need to make sure I'm tightening everything up. What would you say are the top three things that an employer really needs to think about and have in place from an employment perspective? HR and a lawyer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and good topic. <laughs> top three. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, well, it, I mean, it depends on us, the size of the employer sure. and, of course, the resources. But, you know, it always makes things better if you have your processes and your policies in place, either through a written handbook that you can distribute. It's easier to have a written policy that we're, for example, you know, we're open nine to five. And if they're late, it's very clear in the handbook that they're late and you can discipline or terminate or whatever. You clearly want to make sure that if you if you don't have in-house HR, that you have possibly a consultant available to answer some of those questions. Put in place your employment posters, um, any employment contracts, any type of restrictive covenants to protect your confidentiality, your trademark, um, patentable inventions or anything like that you want to have those contracts in place that's probably more for tech companies and the other thing that i think is significant that is something that employers very rarely do at the beginning or maybe even at the end (laughs) is training i think that it is a wise investment to train your supervisors and managers in the policies and practices that you as an organization have implemented and because they are your eyes and ears with your employees as an owner of a company you can't always be there but you want good supervisors and managers and spending that time training them on the simple things as you know when does someone ask for disability or when does someone need to take paid time off or unpaid time off and you know is that something that we should discipline them for if it's a it's a behavior issue? So there's just a, a harassment, recognizing, you know, on how to talk to employees. So that I think training is very important. I absolutely agree. I think many times training is an afterthought, and it's typically after there has been a situation Correct. or an incident. Mm-hmm. And with regard to training so you mentioned training managers on recognizing harassment or mm-hmm. avoiding harassment or not being a harasser <laughs> right or any of those things. <laughs> all the above <laughs> yes all of them we'll talk about it at another point but we are starting to see more leave laws and understanding when individuals need to take leave when you can say yes when you can say no, even if they don't have any available PTO available. I think that many organizations may not even sometimes be aware that these are things that they need to consider mm-hmm. when they're making those decisions. 
You know, I see many times organizations going from one extreme to the other, either having no handbook and really being very laissez-faire about how they manage the important <laughs> population, which is scary. Then you go to or other organizations that have a policy for everything where employees start to feel like, okay, well, this is a per se list. So if it's not on this list, then I must be able to do it because they've documented absolutely everything. <laughs> right. Just from a practical perspective, because it's difficult to have a policy that covers everything and it kind of restricts sometimes the ability to manage in the, in the moment mm-hmm. as necessary. Can you talk about from a best practice perspective how organizations should look at their handbooks and the types of policies they should have in there? And part B, just so I don't forget, is a handbook and a policy and procedure manual the same thing? So, okay, the first part. <laughs> the first part. Okay. Best practices on lots of policies uh, versus a few policies. So I always look at it as to the size of the company. Um, a lot of the mandatory laws or policies that you would want in your handbook are required based on the size of the employer. So if you're a small employer, you know, five or less, you pretty much know all your employees and you probably can just, you know, have a small, I don't know if it's a handbook or just policies that you say, okay, this is what we're going to follow. But there are certain laws that as you grow your business and as you become a larger employer, you know, even as, you know, in Howard County, as small as five or more, and then up to 15 or more in the federal federal space, um, you're going to want to document, because you're required by law to document, policies that govern EEO or discrimination or harassment. Um, in federal contracting space, you're going to want to have pay transparency uh, policies. You're going to want to include safe harbor provisions under your payroll practices. You're going to want to include, you know, your paid or unpaid sick or safe leave. And actually, as effective as today, October 1st, Kimberly, mm-hmm. organ donor leave is effective in Maryland. And that's another policy that employers with 15 or more employees have to provide. So there are certain policies you are required by law to put in a handbook. And I would recommend putting it in a handbook. And I think that's where that training component is. A lot of employers do handbooks, a lot of consultants do handbooks, and lawyers do handbooks, and we hand it over to the employees and then we walk away. And no one spends the time to go through the handbook or train or help employees understand what all of this means. Some handbooks are 10 pages and some are 60 pages. It's a lot of information depending on the size. So I think it is important one size doesn't fit all, um, it, and I think handbooks should be personal to your organization. So it's hard for me to say it has to be you know, a certain length sure. or anything like that. But as you grow your business, you are going to have more and more policies. And the, if it's something is in writing, then you as the supervisor, the manager, the owner, you don't necessarily have to have to make a subjective decision when you're choosing to discipline someone. You can go back to your written policy that you have and objectively say, you know, if you were cursing in the office, mm-hmm. 
you were subject to a disciplinary action and you don't have to think about that and it's in there and then everybody has, the expectations are set that's what handbook policies are for setting expectations yes I agree so I absolutely agree I tell my clients and the employees the handbook is what you can expect from the company and what we expect from you mm -hmm. but what about the ones that go absolutely overboard and want to have a policy about every mistake that every that any employee has made and punish everybody for the mistake that somebody made versus managing that employee. And I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know about. you're talking about, and that's that's a good question. So you have to keep in mind that the more policies you have in place, the more written policies, you as the organization have to comply with your written policies. Mm -hmm. And if you have, I'll just throw out a number, you know, 60 different written policies and you're only complying with half of them then your policies are not as effective in the long run right. and then you are more apt to pick and choose which policies you want to apply to a situation or maybe even to which employee you want to hold accountable to a certain policy and that becomes very subjective and that becomes very that becomes discriminatory you are not effectively implementing your policies. You can't even remember all of the policies if you have all of them. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't give you room, and again, you have to have carefully worded policies if you're going to have them, but it doesn't give you a lot of room to look at things um, on a case-by-case -case basis if you have a policy that says, like, we'll, we'll use harassment, zero tolerance for harassment, you're fired for any type of harassment. If that's your star employee, then you have to fire them because that's what your policy said. And we're not going to go, we're not going to pick and choose which employee we want to hold accountable. So the more policies you have, remember you have to comply with all of them and you can't pick and choose um, which ones you want to apply and which employees you want to comply with. And some of them may actually contradict one another. We've had handbooks where you know, but page three, you have one policy. By page 15, it says something completely different. So you really want to make sure when you're going through that they're not contradicting each other. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, from my perspective, and I am not an attorney, please <laughs> consult your attorney. Um, from my perspective, when you create a policy based on a specific situation, it, it impacts all the other employees and it sometimes could be a situation where you could have just addressed that person, managed that person, Correct. and moved on. Um, I've definitely seen, and very recently I saw with a client, they implemented a leave policy that impacted everyone because someone was abusing the leave as a salaried employee. And so I think sometimes it's, well, yeah, you can have that policy, but could we just not have managed that person instead of creating a policy mm -hmm. uh, to say everyone has to do this because now everyone has to do this and now the 98% of people who were managing themselves properly are impacted on the one-off time that they could have taken advantage of something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So let's go to part B of the question. Should policies, so should procedures 
on how to do things live in a handbook outside of no. this is what your steps are <laughs> to file a, a complaint for harassment or something like that. Right. So I see, and I'm sure you do as well, you see a lot of handbooks that start out with all of the wonderful, you know, EEOC, um, you know, these are our office hours, these are our holidays, these are our paid leave. And then towards the end, it's like, how do you log into the computer? You know, what <laughs> happens? <laughs> yeah, here's your expense report. How do I uh, calculate my, you know, leave through the computer, the fire evacuation policy? There's all sorts of information that are, like you said, policies, more, more let's, let's not use the word policies, let's use the word procedures. Um, and those procedures I never put in a handbook. Those can be a standalone. They can be accessed on your database as an actual procedure, the mailing procedure, the timekeeping procedure, the evacuation procedure, the, you know, how do I answer my, how do I check my voicemail procedure? Yeah. <laughs> all of that stuff. Yes, and I've seen all of that <laughs> in a handbook. Yes. Do not need to go into a handbook. Um, the handbooks, and, and actually this is, I don't even think you asked this question, but a general handbook, you should think about it as to what policies or what practices you want all of your employees to comply with. These are the rules, like if you're gonna come to work and we're gonna play nice in the sandbox, these are our company rules and I'm gonna put them in this handbook and we're all gonna, you know, abide by them. And, you know, even clients will ask, well, what if I wanna do something different for my executive team? What if I wanna do something different for my non-exempt employees versus my exempt employees? Can I put all of that in a handbook and make sure that it's all in there. And I would even recommend not putting that in the handbook. Again, you want it to be a general policy manual with all the required policies you have to put in there as well as this is what time the office opens. This is our inclement weather policy. This is our payroll keeping policy. These are the holidays we get off. If you wanna give your executive team six weeks of paid vacation and you're not giving everyone else in the company that, that doesn't need to go into your handbook. That could be in an offer letter or something separate. Mm -hmm. Same with your fire evacuation policy that can be accessed elsewhere. And but who are the fire captains? <laughs> and who are the fire captains, yeah. That makes sense. So, so what would you say, because that's a great point, so what would you say about multi-state employers? So I have employees in Maryland, I have employees in California, oh. I have <laughs> Washington I think State. we need our drink now. I know, exactly. you Every time you mention California, California that is our, take that a drink. Is our code word, take a drink. Take a exactly. drink. <laughs> so I have employees in Maryland, California, Washington State, and New York. I picked all the fun ones. <laughs> so let's say I have employees in all of those places. I'm based in Maryland. The bulk of my employees are in Maryland. What would be your recommendation looking at me like, why are you asking me this question? What would be the best practice? I'm not going to ask for your recommendation because we're not paying for legal advice. Yet. What is a best This is not practice? legal this advice. This is not legal advice. In fact, no. I meant to give that disclaimer yeah, at the very, the very beginning. beginning. That's yeah. okay. Um, so what is your recommendation to, because you say, and I agree, 
it's a general handbook. So is there a state-specific addendum that we give to those employees specifically, three or four policies that are different? So, you know, and oh, and I live in San Francisco in California. Just, yeah, just one day. We had to drink twice for that. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So what would you say is the best practice for that? So, and this applies, we have a number of federal contractors who have maybe one employee in all 50 states. And so sometimes, and then the bulk of their employees reside and work in Maryland. So typically to have that general handbook, you can do that. Uh, Most of the states will follow Maryland or are similar to Maryland. The ones that Kimberly just mentioned, (laughs) California. It's going to be a little different. California, I definitely recommend having a state supplement for California employees only. They have a lot, especially, as Kim really mentioned, San Francisco. Um, you have to even look at the county um, that you are residing in or even the city in California that you're residing in. They have very specific laws. So California, I would always separate. It also depends on how many employees you have in those states. If you really just have one employee in New York, look to see what laws are different. And again, this is where attorneys are going to be able to research those laws and be able to compare the difference. Sometimes employers want a one-size-fits-all across the United States. Like I said, for the most part, you can comply with a number of state laws. Or if you are an employer, you want to recognize the most generous laws out there, which may be California. Yeah, just, just, just do a California. <laughs> um, you can certainly do that. You can always offer more. You know, if you want to offer unlimited PTO or, you know, four weeks of paid time off, that's above and beyond what Maryland requires. That's above and beyond what a number of states require. But you just have to make sure if you're implementing something as general as I just stated, that each state or each county or each jurisdiction may have certain nuances that they require, whether it's something in writing or how far in advance you have to request your time off. So you can say, I'm gonna do this one great pay time off policy, but there probably are a couple little nuances that you have to comply with. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. I have enjoyed our conversation. (laughs) Thank you, Kimberly. And so now we are at the question that everyone has been waiting for. I know. When you have to unwind from a long day of dealing with all of the employment law fun that you have to deal with, what would be in your glass at that time? Well, immediately that comes to my head is a glass of Malbec red wine at the end of the day. Okay. That's nice. Unless it's on the weekends, and then I would probably have a gin and tonic. A gin and tonic, okay. On the weekends. I like it. I like it. Do we do lemon or lime? Just straight. I do lime. Lime. Sometimes gin and soda, if I'm being good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's no need to be good. But red wine during the week, because that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit more tame. I know. It sounds more responsible. Too. But maybe now that it's October, we're going to have to try the bloodthirsty the pirate. bloodthirsty pirate. I think that's coming next. We'll have to experiment. <laughs> I think I will. <laughs> and um, for all of you listening, I actually am going to try a bloodthirsty pirate. So check out HR and Cocktails mm. on IG, and I will have a picture of my bloodthirsty pirate on IG for everyone who's interested. But thank you, Cheryl. I really appreciate Appreciate it. Thanks, and, Kimberly. Um, we will talk to everyone next time on HR and Cocktails.
Thank you for joining us this month on HR and Cocktails. Please make sure to visit our website at www.prescotthr.com where you can subscribe to the show. And while you're at it, if you're interested in learning more about our consulting services, please complete the contact form on the website. And don't forget to tell a friend about Prescott HR, home of unintimidated HR.